This is episode 66 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Prepping with Kids, Canning Equipment, the Must-Have Tools for Canning Season, and Five Wilderness Survival Rules that are Actually Myths. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, let's go ahead and get started for uh, this podcast episode. We're going to go ahead and start off with uh, our first article at coming to us from the PrepperJournal.com. And again, the title is Prepping with Kids. If you'd asked me 16 years ago if I'd be ready for when the SHTF, I would have answered yes without any kind of hesitation. After all, I was single. I was a ground team leader in the Air Force Auxiliary Unit Civil Air Patrol. I had worked as an armed security agent, was working in the airlines, and had taken a multitude of camping firearms, first aid, and survival courses. In the chaos of 9-11, I had been told that I would handled myself admirably and with a cool and level head by my co-workers and supervisors. I felt prepared. Then I met my wife-to-be, moved across the country, and settled into suburban life. As the years passed, my emergency gear went by the wayside. My skills waned a bit, and I had to sell my sidearm at one point in order to afford to move to where jobs were available at, at due season during recession. I don't think too much about getting back. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't think too much about getting back into emergency preparedness because I had work to do, education to finish, and the everyday chores of life to deal with. It wasn't until the last couple of years. Last couple of years ago, when my wife and I became parents of two lovely children that we adopted, once the process was over, my wife said words that I'd never thought I'd hear from her. I want to prepare for the worst. At first, you could have knocked me over with a feather as I'd never thought she'd want to become a prepper. Then I wanted to shout my elation at the green light to do something that I've been wanting to do again for so long. Heck, I got the go-ahead to buy guns again. Hello, AR-7 and Ruger 2245. As I started delving back into the world of prepping by looking at articles, making lists, buying supplies, I had to stop for a moment because there was something that I hadn't counted on having back in my Civil Air Patrol days. There were now a new factor to my equation, prepping with kids. My children are 9 and 2. I found that I had to modify my list to suit their needs and capabilities along with my own, especially after seeing a tear-jerking video on Facebook last year about a family bugging out over the course of a year between their daughter's birthdays. This is what I came up with, and your own mileage may vary on how your own situation may be similar or different from my own. This was the big question for us. What was our plan for when the SHTF happens? Were we going to bug out or bug in? As we live in Alaska now, I realize that we have an abundance of resources around us, a decent community that we live in, and we're pretty isolated. So bugging out will probably only happen in the event that our town is evacuated for whatever reason. So getting bobs was high on the list, and I started getting the five-day packs available at our local stores. Ultimately, it's going to be a bug-in scenario as all our resources are where we live along with people that we know and can trust. But what about your children? Well, I love my kids. 
they are going to be a liability that I'll need to consider in an emergency situation. Thankfully, my nine-year-old has a level head and knows how to decently handle herself when things get bad. She loves the outdoors and, and can carry a basic bob on her shoulders and likes helping mom and dad around the house. I have started taking her to their local gun range to teach her safety in shooting with my new 22 rifle and handgun that I mentioned above. I've chosen those as they'd be easy for my kids to learn on. They're lightweight and easily concealable. If we need to go on a long walk, the ammo is interchangeable between the two of them, and they'll be effective for hunting small game in the area. My two-year-old, however, is a big concern as they, she's still in diapers. My toddler can walk for maybe a mile and has a lot of energy, but right now a bug-out bag weighs as much as she does. Her needs will need to be met in a time frame that could, could last from a week to a year or more. Some of the major things of concern are diapers, wipes, milk, and formula. One would think Costco at once for the diaper solution, but you also have to realize that your kids will be growing. If the SHTF tomorrow and you just recently bought in bulk, then great. But if it happens a month from now or a year from now or two years from now, those diapers that you scrolled away might not fit, especially if you have a growing newborn to consider. So while we're doing potty training with my toddler, I am being mindful of reusable diapers and wipe solutions and taking into consideration shelf-stable milk that I'd be able to store in the meantime. With reusable diapers and wipes also comes the problem of clean clothes, so among other things, I'm in the process of looking at how we're going to be doing our laundry if the power goes out and stays out. I'm looking really fondly at my kids' bike chains now and how I can attach it to a washer cylinder. There's only two ways out of our own town, boat and airplane. Three if you count trekking it across wilderness to the next nearest town, but I live in a state where everything wants to kill you the moment you walk out your front door in the middle of civilization. Yes, I have had black bears on my front doorstep before with nothing but a pane of glass between us. So walking out and here is not really an option unless we get to super desperation stage and we're talking sci-fi channel level of desperation in which a glacier is advancing at Mach 5 with a Sharknado on top of it while a San Andreas movie level earthquake is hitting the area. I throw in zombies but we're already so jaded up here with them coming off the cruise ships in droves every summer. Realistically, and in all, in all seriousness, if it comes down to a government-enforced evacuation, it's going to be by ferry or by airplane. While I highly doubt that we'll be able to take our vehicle with us, even on the ferry, that means we're going to have to rely on what we can carry ourselves. So I'm getting there. As I mentioned before, one of our bobs is the same weight as my toddler. So that means that either my wife or I will have to carry... Uh, them while the other doubles or even triples up on the bags. In this kind of situation, I'm looking at getting a frame backpack for kids that my toddler can ride. And at the same time, I'd be able to carry a bob. If anyone knows of a survival bob kit carrier, I'd be grateful for a link. I don't know about a, a survival bob carrier, but I did see something on Facebook, a little video, on uh, where kids, instead of sitting down in the back, they could stand up. Uh, and so, you know how kids like to, you know, 
right on your shoulders or whatever. Uh, it, would, it was some kind of uh, frame uh, on your back, that you, a harness that you would wear. And the kids would kind of, they'd be strapped in, but they would also be standing up. And so uh, I thought that was pretty pretty cool there uh, that you know you might be able to affix something to that in addition to the above items listed for my two-year-old two-year-old Bob to last for five days I also have to consider entertainment or distractions while we're in the process of evacuation for this I recommended buying multiple versions of your child's favorite toy and or stuffed animal and putting it in their Bob that way, if you're leaving in a hurry, you don't have to waste valuable and time time wondering where Mr. Bear is at when you have one already tucked away and ready to go. One of your child's favorite blankets might be something to consider for their comfort and peace of mind if you're in the process of evacuating with them. If your child is anything like my toddler, then they're going to want something comforting and familiar that reminds them of home while you're on the move to safety. I guess that in the end, it comes down to the ages of your kids. What's their, what are they capable of and how much extra you're going to have to put away in order to see to their basic needs. As time goes on, we'll go longer, Lord and Lady willing, without an event occurring. And as your children get older, their needs will naturally change until they're at such an age that they can reasonably handle themselves in the event of a crisis. They'll also learn from the example that you set for them and from what you teach them as you prep. These are skills that they'll have with them forever. Teach them skills to survive. Teach them how to keep a cool head and don't panic yourself. That and a little common sense and hopefully you'll come out of this situation reasonably intact. All right. So I think this is a big a big deal. Something to, very, to, to consider uh, greatly. Uh, not only... For parents, but um, you know, when I the people that I know, extended families. I mean, grandparents play a big part, and uh, I know people that where grandparents are raising kids, and so that's going to put in a whole different scenario there because a grandparent might not be able to carry, uh, you know, someone who is younger like that, um, and that's in case uh, if there is a, a real you know Bob situation or a real bug out situation. Um, but something, I mean, kids is something that we really need to consider. A lot of the times we just start prepping and it's for the adults, but we really need to be thinking about kids as well. One of the, uh, or somebody in the comment section mentioned, you might want to consider like uh, one of those uh, carts, rolling out carts, uh, solid turf walkout a cart, game carts or whatever. And uh, I, I think that's an interesting uh, idea and something to consider as well. Uh, because you can put the kids in there and you can uh, roll them out. Of course, you know, over a mountainous uh, terrain and stuff like that, you you know, rocky terrain, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but uh, if if you could, if you could, you know, if everybody in on this uh, this town had to go by ferry, and it was only what you could carry. Uh, or take with you in a little cart like that you could carry the kids and also put supplies in there with them as well so that's something to consider um, I have actually given my brother the same uh, recommendation on a cart um, he lives in Houston but they live further south uh, closer towards Galveston and so if there was ever a situation I mean our plan for our family we already kind of know what that plan would be but if it was a situation where vehicles weren't available or for whatever reason, um, you know, he knows, 
he knows the you know what what he's supposed to be doing and as soon as possible get on the road and he has uh, I have a little nephew uh, who could probably walk a little bit of the way but he would get very very tired really quickly and the the plan would be to put him in inside of a cart so that they could carry him or you know now pro- probably uh, a bike would be a good a good uh, situation uh, for them and something that we probably should talk about as well I think bikes. Uh, are a good uh, you know if you could go to a garage sale or you can find a bike for uh, for a good price and you know, a good bike I think it's definitely worth it to uh, something to invest in so I know I'm just kind of going totally off the uh, the what the website was about or what the article was about sorry as I'm recording this guys it's really really late <clears throat> my voice is um, it's been a long day at church it was a good day but it's been long and uh, my voice is kind of acting funny on me here, so I'm trying to take little drinks of water as I uh, as I go through. So that's at the Prepper Journal. Definitely, uh, there's a lot of links in this article that you can click on. All right, uh, let's go ahead and go to our next article, and it's coming to us from Old World Farms Garden. Um, it's about canning, and you know, as a lot of a lot of you are, or a lot of preppers, a lot of people are starting to. Um, you know your your garden is starting to come in you're starting to harvest you know fruits and vegetables and and you're starting to realize that there's a lot you know hopefully you realize there's a lot and then there's yeah you know what do you want to do with all that and so canning is a viable option for you and uh, you know one of the things about canning and I've talked about it recently is that uh, a lot of people are afraid of it they kind of touch on that in this article um, but I think this is a great segue into the fact that I do we do have that free webinar. So if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, the 22nd, on the 23rd, I do have a free webinar with Melissa K. Norris uh, doc, from MelissaKNorris.com. And uh, she's going to be doing a free webinar on uh, how to can safely at home and you know learning learning the the right ways to do it and how to do it to build up your food storage and so you know we talk about wanting to have all different types of food storage and uh, definitely using or canning is one way that you can do that and so this article is going to touch on a lot of different things and so hopefully it'll encourage you that after you you after you listen to this article that maybe you go over and I'm going to link to it on Prepper website, and I will be linking to it on uh, episode 66 of the Prepper website podcast. But you can go to that webinar, you can sign up and get, uh, you know, hold your spot. And so when it's time for the webinar to kick off, you'll get an email with a link to go into uh, the webinar so that you can hear uh, this information. So it's free information on canning. And so I think it'll be, I know that it'll be valuable. Uh, I just, you know, I'd like for you to be able to take part of that before it, um, you know, before it goes away. So let's go ahead and read this article from OldWorldFarmsGarden.com. It's called Canning Equipment, the Must-Have Tools for Canning Season. Whether you are new to canning or an experienced canner, having the right canning equipment is crucial. As canning season approaches, we thought we would answer some frequently asked questions about what type of canning equipment that we use and find helpful in our own kitchen. For those wanting specific information on the products mentioned, we have included product links in the highlighted red to help. Water bath canner. 
If you are new to canning and if you will primarily be canning jellies, jams, salsas, and pickles, a water bath canner is the way to go. It is a large pot that can hold either pint or quart canning jars and it is used to process canned foods using boiling water. It is fairly simple to use and it is a good first step for those hesitant to try their hand at canning. If you are serious about canning food to feed your family, a pressure canner is a must. Although many people are intimidated and hesitant to use a pressure canner, they are actually easy and safe to use. There are two basic types of pressure canners, a weighted gauge and a dial gauge. A weighted gauge pressure canner uses small weights to measure the pounds of pressure. Standard units are measured in 5 pounds, 10 pounds, and 15 pounds of pressure. A dial gauge pressure canner measures the pressure through a regulated gauge. No weights are used. However, you should get your dial regulated every year to ensure that it is measuring in the, prop, in the pressure accurately. We have used our Presto pressure canner for years and love it. Now, not all jars are created equal. Some people prefer to use only mason, ball, or curd canning jars, but regardless of the brand, there are a few important tips to consider before you buy your jars. Number one, regular mouth versus wide mouth. This only has to do with the size of the opening at the top of the jar. Wide mouth jars are much easier to use when canning large items such as pickles and sliced fruit. Regular mouth jars have a smaller opening and best used when canning sauces and liquids. And, and I'll, I'll just add when um, the wide mouth jars are so much easier for a guy when you're, when you're trying to get in there and clean and you know you, you want to have the right equipment but if there's something like you really got to get in there and kind of get your hand in there it's just sometimes it's hard with those, those uh, smaller uh, smaller uh, or regular mouth jars but anyway uh, number two is not all jars are interchangeable there are specific jars to be used at specific times some jars are freezer jars that are not safe for canning in a hot water bath or pressure canner there are other jars especially those found at flea markets that are for decorative uses only and of course, there are jars that are designed to withstand the heat and pressure of the water bath or pressure canner. Before you purchase your jars, be sure to read the label to verify the, appro the approved use of the jars. So that's good advice right there because you could wind up coming across a, a big set of jars and not exactly know what they're used for. Canning lids are what seals the jars and canning rings are what holds the lids secure prior to and during the canning process. The lid should never be reused. The rings can be taken off once your jars have been processed and are ready to be stored. They can be used over and over again as long as they remain in good condition. Make sure to buy the right size for your jars, regular versus wide mouth, as they are not interchangeable. If you're just getting started, canning kits are one of the best purchases that you can make. All of the helpful tools are included in one package. Funnel. Most kits include a funnel to help you fill your jars. It would be really difficult and messy to fill your jars without one. One thing to keep in mind, most funnels that are included in the kit fit on top of regular mouth jars perfectly. You will need to hold your funnel to completely fill your wide mouth jars to the top. Jar lifter. A must-have tool to get those hot jars out of your canner. A magnet lid lifter. This tool has saved me many times from burning my fingers as I lifted lids out of the hot water to seal the jars. Plastic tool. 
This tool can only help you release air bubbles in your jar, but it also has a guide to measure the necessary headspace that it calls for in your recipe. If you're planning on making tomato juice, paste, pasta sauce, salsa, apple butter, or applesauce, this tool is extremely handy and well worth the purchase. No need to peel your tomatoes or apples. Actually, this is a food mill strainer. Sorry, I didn't read that at the top. After cooking them, run, run them through the mill. Not only will it separate out the skins, but it will also remove the seeds as well. It also comes with various size strainers to allow for a thicker or thinner end product. The brand that we use is Roma by Weston Food Strainer and Sauce Maker. Towels and Washcloths This may seem like a trivial requirement for a list of essential tools required for canning. However, ask any experienced canner and they will tell you that you can never have enough towels or washcloths when you are canning. From wiping the top of the jars clean before adding the lid, to wiping up spills as you fill the jars, to even having tools ready for the hot jars to sit on to cool, you will go through a whole laundry load of washcloths and towels before the day is done. So check out our favorite canning recipes. Happy canning. Alright, so there are uh, like there are tons of art uh, not articles, tons of links in here. And uh, you can go ahead and click to and get, you know, go to Amazon and find uh, you know, the uh, the items that they're they're talking about. But then also at the very bottom, they have that canning recipe link that you're going to want to go and check out. And um, so a good article there and kind of a, a good uh, you know primer to get us thinking about canning. And hopefully you do go sign up. For uh, that free webinar and you can take advantage of it all right let's go ahead and go to the last article of uh, the podcast and this comes to us from askaprepper.com and the title of the prepper is five wilderness survival rules that are actually myths so let's go ahead and read this one survival show hosts make surviving in the wilderness look like a walk in the park don't be fooled into thinking that the brush contains a veritable buffet of food Unfortunately, the mainstream perception of wilderness survival is fraught with misfortune and half-truths like these five myths that will get preppers killed. Myth number one, living off the land is easy. Basic necessities are everywhere. Survival shows have especially made this myth take off. The concept that whatever danger you find yourself in, there is a fairly straightforward way out as long as you have the right knowledge is a hot seller right now. However, living off the land in the wild is not as easy as it seems on TV. Shelter may be needed immediately, and if you don't know how to find the right materials and get yourself up in short order, you could be done for. Here is a simple way to find shelter in the wild without actually building it. Hey, so I uh, just thinking about that one, I'm, I'm linking to the article that I wrote and put, put up on uh, edthatmatters.com, my personal website, where um, you know, I talk about a survival, a real survival situation with uh, a father and son in the Tasmania, Tasmanian wilderness uh, in in Australia, and uh, so that's very interesting. And it was the shelter they were expecting to find two dead bodies, but it was a crude shelter. And uh, ironically, it was uh, reading one of the reports. I didn't I didn't put this in the article, but ironically, it was he built a, a shelter. After watching one of uh, Bear Grylls's um, 
<laughs> shows. So it's kind of funny we're talking negatively about survival shows here. Um, you know, but I mean, there is a lot of truth to to the negativity on the survival shows because they do. They go in there. You know, it's it's very. Um, you know, a lot of the times it's scripted. You know. Uh, not all of them are, but some of the times it's, it's scripted, and they go in, they get their stuff, and they get out. It's all for you know for the show. Um, but at least sometimes there are some things that people can learn from. And so uh, this so this uh, dad you know winded up saving his son because they made this crude shelter. All right. Um, I don't know if fat fat guys in the woods is still being produced or not. I haven't seen it recently, or I haven't seen something pop up. But uh, I do like that show. Uh, Creek uh, Stewart is an, he, he's a, he's a legit guy. I really like him. Um, we've done a lot of email back and forth, and did a lot of his books at the very beginning um, when he was really you know really kicking off way before Fat Guys in the Woods. Myth number two: Food and water are everywhere. You just need to know how to find them. Related to the first myth, the idea that it is easy to find food and water in the wilderness is perpetuated by the ease in which television survival experts seem to find their meals. You may notice, however, that none of these experts are in the wilderness for significant periods of time in these shows. Although it is true that in many climates there are a lot of edible plants around, it is also true that most of them are very low in calories and are not available for much of the year. On top of that, unless you are an expert in plant identification, there is a chance you will poison yourself with a lookalike. Likewise, it is unlikely that you will promptly find wild game and be able to hunt it and process it without the right skills and tools. Unless you are lucky enough to find a large amount of nuts and abundant high sugar fruits, you will have difficulty getting enough calories from the wild. Yes, you can get your vitamin C from pine needles and many wild foods are packed with nutrition, but it's the calories you need to keep yourself going for more than a couple of weeks. Water can be equally challenging to find, especially clean water. You may find a stream, but it is impossible to know without laboratory equipment whether the stream is contaminated with biological or chemical threats. You may have a good drink and then end up losing all the hydration and more through diarrhea and vomiting if the water source is contaminated. Not to say that at times it may not be worth the risk. Better to go into the wild prepared with, with survival rations and a good water filter, as well as extensive knowledge of wild foods high in calories, including where to find them in a given ecosystem and when they are available. Cattail roots, for example, are among the most nutritious high-calorie foods common in, most, in many ecosystems. Cattails are also known as the supermarket of the swamp because of its many survival uses. Certain nuts are also good. If you know how to process and store them, hint, roasted, cool, dark, and dry. Myth number three, you must find food immediately when lost in the wild. You may have noticed in fictional shows and movies that people often get desperate for food just after they go into the woods. However, you can survive up to six weeks without food, so this should not be your top priority when you are lost in the wilderness. Instead, you should be looking for shelter and water, and the order of importance depends on the situation you are in. Quite often, shelter may be first. If you are in a blizzard in the mountains, for example, or even in a mildly cool night area, the energy you lose trying to stay warm and comfortable can easily do you in. So shelter and possibly fire are your first priorities. If you are in an exceedingly sunny and hot climate with no shade, shelter will be equally important to maintain hydration and health, and do your best to fashion a hat and other cover if you don't have any. 
If you are in a stable climate with optimal temperatures, including at night, no rain, and plenty of shaded space, water may be your first priority. Only when these two necessities are taken care of should you turn your attention to food. Number four, starting a fire is as easy as rubbing sticks or banging rocks together. Starting fiction fires or or fires from sparks created by banging rocks together is not easy and requires a lot of practice to get the hang of it. And even then is not possible without the right conditions and materials. Starting a fire with any technique can be difficult in damp or windy conditions, even for a second expert, I'm sorry, even for a seasoned expert with the right materials. If you're lucky enough to be in an area with flint or quartz, you may be able to create sparks to light your tinder with the right rock banging technique. But again, it will take a lot of practice and ideally direction from an expert at first. Likewise, friction fires are also, also require patience and skills. Myth 5. Play dead during a bear attack. Do not be fooled by where, where, what you have seen on television or have you heard in, in stories. Playing dead when faced with an aggressive bear can actually get you killed. You probably know that running or climbing a tree is also futile, but bears are not stupid and they will usually try to kill you until you are really dead. If you see a bear trail, steer, steer clear and bring bear spray with you when you are in bear habitat making plenty of noise to keep the bears at bay. If you do see a bear or other predator such as a mountain lion, do not play dead as a first line of defense. Instead, try to make yourself look bigger by opening up your jacket and extending, uh, to, extending it to your sides. Stand tall and make lots of noise. Only if you are already being mauled and there is no hope of fighting back, ideally with a hard or sharp object to the eyes or nose, should you consider playing dead in hope that the bear will no longer see you as a threat. Even then, your only hope is that the bear isn't hungry and was simply trying to neutralize a threat. There's a lot of comments on this one. There's 13 comments. People uh, responding to different things here about bears. Um, so one, just, I'm just going to read this one here. Uh, bear ruled, if it's black, fight back. If it's brown, lie down. Grizzlies are extremely unlikely to be intimidated, although black bears are possible. So Michael Dunn survived a grizz attack with Play Dead, and he learned that from the highest possible authority. And there's, uh, there's a link there to it. But anyway, some good, uh, good advice there, and it's not as simple as going out there. That's why you want to go out there, and you want to, yeah, you want to, you want to camp, you want to uh, go out there and get some skills. I mean, if doing a friction fire is something that you want to do, um, you know, go for it. Um, you know, go learn that skill. Uh, Todd over at Survival Sherpa, I mean, he's an educator. And uh, he does friction fires. And one of the things that he does, I love this about him, is that he gets his kids out there. And it's like uh, it's like a fun thing that they do. He gets them out there. He's got videos about that, you know, these kids doing fire. And then they do it from two sticks. And I mean, they, they are getting an experience that they, you know, and it, I don't exactly know where, where what kind of school he's in. But these kids are getting experience that more than likely they would never get anywhere else. And so I uh, truly love that. But it's it's possible to do. You just got to go out there with someone who knows what they're doing and so you don't you know uh, do it wrongly. You don't want to learn wrong. 
because you don't want to learn wrong, you don't want to practice wrong, because then it gets into your head. And you know, it's one thing in education that's an instructional strategy that we always talk about. Um, you want to learn the right way to do it, and you want to practice the right way of, uh, of doing it, so it sticks. Uh, the correct way sticks in your head. All right, so some good articles. Make sure, like always, to go over to thepreperwebsitepodcast.com and go hit up episode 66 so that you can go ahead and link to these other articles. Like I said, there's a bunch of good stuff here uh, for you to take a look at. If you get a chance, come by the website also and, and drop me a line in the comment section or uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, the, the newsletter is still out there for you to, to come and to be a part of that. Uh, it's growing every day, so I'm really glad that people are you know, looking to be more self-reliant. There's benefits to that. Come check us out on the Facebook page. Uh, and if uh, you would... Like us, uh, you know, share us out through social media, and so you can like, uh, like us or share us out or all that stuff. We got all that stuff on the left-hand side of the of the website. Uh, we really appreciate when the word gets out there and people come to the come to the website and then listen to the podcast. All right, so um, episode sixty-six. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.